Welcome to episode 602 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Hey, Josh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. It's been, has it been a month since we've done this together? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Something like that. We had a crazy couple of weeks with me being away and you being away, and uh, we're we're back in the seat, as it were, and um, we have some feedback to get us going. Yeah, these were all sent into our inbox at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. And our first one, it's actually a little bit of a spoiler, just a little bit of a spoiler for something we're going to talk about later, but that's fine. We'll get into the rest of those details later in the show. But David wrote in to say, has the Xbox quietly become the one media device to rule them all? Aside from availability and price, admittedly two giant barriers to entry, but in terms of hardware and services, it checks all the boxes. Even Apple Music has landed there. That's the spoiler. Traditionally, consoles have been lousy media devices, but I can't think of anything it doesn't have. Oh. And it plays AAA games. Thanks for reading this. David, it, you're not wrong. Like It it does do basically everything. <laughs> and as long as you're not talking about the Xbox Series S, one of the things that you didn't specifically call out that it does that Roku doesn't do, uh, Apple TV doesn't do, NVIDIA Shield doesn't do, none of those devices do, plays movies off of an optical disc. It has a... Uh, a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray player built in also, as long as you're talking about Xbox One S, One X, or a Series X, you've got that in, in all of those Xbox devices. But yeah, for a Series X, you're talking about 500 bucks. For a Series S, you're talking about 300 bucks. And obviously, Xbox Ones can be had for probably less than the cost of an Apple TV at this point. But I don't... I don't know, like the the user interface is maybe because after the launch of the Xbox One and Microsoft taking so much heat for really focusing that console on being a, a great all-in-one media playback device for your living room and, and that feedback not being good, they've really shifted the the use case to be almost entirely about games. So while it does have all of those apps and services that you're talking about, it's the the interface is not really streamlined for that use case, which does make me wonder how many people are actually using it for that, uh, especially as like their primary usage for an Xbox One. R Richard, when's the last time you actually used one of your Xboxes for media <laughs> apps? Yeah, it's been quite a long time, probably just to try things out when I initially set up the Xbox at our rental property. And that was, oh, I don't know, uh, last winter, I think. So yeah. it's it's been a long time. And I don't remember, do you still have the ability in their interface, since the interface changes, it seems like every couple of quarters, do you still have the ability to have different sections and one of those sections could be your favorite apps because if that's the case i mean that's a pretty streamlined experience if you want your favorite apps to be media apps i guess that's true and yes they do still have that experience so maybe that's something i should play with again to see how well i could set mine up for a primarily media focused uh device I've I while my Xbox gets used quite frequently, it only gets used by me in my house uh, and pretty much only for playing games. I use my Nvidia Shield for everything else. The rest of my family uses the Nvidia Shield for everything else. So, it's not something I've really been doing all that much either. But but David's not wrong. It it certainly does fit like it has the capabilities to do all of the stuff. Yeah, that everyone would be looking for kind of as a sleeper. But the one thing that I would add to that interface conversation is that I don't believe that the Xbox interface, if your primary use is going to be for media, like the rest of your family might be, is really well suited to the rest of the family. 
it is targeted towards somebody who's all in on Xbox and understands Xbox. And it even with a remote properly mapped to all of the appropriate different buttons or actions you can take, it can it, you can pretty easily get lost there. Yeah, for sure. So and maybe that's one of the reasons. Well, no, the the main reason why I I kind of moved away from having the rest of the family use it is it consumes a lot more power than an Nvidia Shield. Uh consumes more electricity and I also like I get a little bit nervous about devices like the Xbox you're going to laugh, but like wearing out you know, like it's not, it doesn't have an internal combustion engine, but it does have some moving parts in there and it does get loud and it does use a lot of energy and it's a lot more expensive than yeah. uh, a media streaming box. So for sure, if things were to, to, to screw it up and, and make that thing fail sooner, it's a lot more expensive to replace. And there's some history of bad hardware too. So, right. you know, exactly, exactly. All right. Well, our next message is from Alfred and, he compliments us on the show, calling us one of the last few old school podcasts that hasn't sold out. So thank you. Um, he has, a, I think, a really interesting point. He said, one of my Harmony remotes stopped working, an old Harmony companion, and I started looking at the alternatives since Logitech dropped Harmony. I've had a bit of a realization. This isn't 2005 anymore. Rather than a bunch of dumb AV devices being strung together, needing a smart remote to tie it all together. We have streaming boxes with all the smarts. It switches inputs or apps, sends video parameters to the TV and audio parameters to the AVR, which nowadays is basically a 5-1 soundbar with discrete components. The new Toblerone-shaped remote for the <laughs> NVIDIA Shield, it is kind of Toblerone-shaped, does 95% of what you need. Ditto for the Fire and Roku TV remotes. I know there are some special cases, but the market isn't listening to the holdouts like the old Windows media diehards. And we know there's still some out there. What worries me long-term is support for local media. Even stalwarts like Plex and, and, and others are de-emphasizing local media for streaming. So a couple things that he points out here, the need for universal remotes is clearly diminished by the finally better working HDMI CEC implementations in most of the devices that we buy nowadays is right that it doesn't do everything. And one of the things that it may not do so well is if you have some sort of local, uh, local storage or local ac uh, content that you need access to, depending on how that's set up, whether it's a PC or, or a server or what have you, or if you're going through some app, uh, that may be a little more complicated. But for the most part, do we still need universal remotes? Discuss. <laughs> it's This is such a great question, and it's one that I still keep having regularly. Just this week, one of my friends who listens to this show said, I really need a new remote. What should I get now that Harmony's not around? And he, he actually purchased the Sofa Baton X1 on Amazon. And I was like, no, don't do that. It's terrible. <laughs> and seconds later, he DM'd me a picture of his canceled Amazon order. So I saved him from that one, at least. I don't think there are other great options out there. And for me, I, I, I think that what uh, what Alfred is saying here is is mostly true, and it's especially true when you're talking about a TV that has one box hooked up to it. If all you've got is your Roku hooked up to your box, frankly, you could probably use your Roku remote or your TV remote and be fine. The thing that I always get leery about is when you start adding extra devices. Do you have a Switch? Do you have an Xbox? Any of that stuff also hooked up to your TV? Because then you do have to switch inputs. and Will CEC handle that for you? Sometimes. Sometimes. And it's not reliable because the ways that it does it sometimes are different. Sometimes it switch, depending on your device, like the TV may switch when it hears audio from the source that it wasn't hearing before. Well, that may not be because you switched to it, right? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So 
I want to hear from more of our listeners on this topic because as as I like these are the weird conversation or not conversation but thoughts that I have in my head which is why I still do this podcast like I wander around my house thinking I wonder how my neighbors across the street control their TV like they've got a switch and a streaming box and kids how do they switch inputs I don't know and I want to know how this is actually being handled by most well I was going to say normal people but also People like us who are listening to this podcast, how are yeah. you handling it? Because I still, even in 2022, don't fully trust HDMI CEC to handle switching those devices and right. even being able to adequately explain to people, it's fine. Just press the button on your streaming thing. It will turn on and your TV will know and switch to that. Likewise, for your Xbox, mm-hmm. turn it on and your TV will switch. Because it doesn't always. And then what? Right. Right. Yeah, it's funny you said this just this week. Just last week, I encountered this very issue down at the rental place because I set up a Harmony Companion in the great room there. And in that case, it's because there's more than just one thing. There's the TV itself, which is a smart TV. Then there's cable input because... Renters at vacation properties still like to have cable TV, so we have cable TV there. Then there's actual radio. Turns out people listen to the radio when they're at the beach too. Um, we've had we've had some renters ask questions about how to do that, and people might bring their own device, connect their own device, and I have inputs for that. So. There needs to be a way to switch between inputs, and we have a receiver in the mix there. And so that complicates things, too. If you have multiple layers, it may make it a little bit more complicated for that CEC to work reliably or to do at all what you want it to do. So uh, we're getting there. It's not entirely foolproof yet. I think 95% may be a little bit optimistic. I think maybe we're 85% <laughs> where, where we need to be at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm too much of a perfectionist that I don't want to hand this off to somebody unless it's 100%. Maybe well, it's just I think me. the result is that <laughs> most families probably still have multiple remotes on their coffee table. It's just that there are fewer remotes now. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, great listener feedback. We love answering your questions and lots of great discussion out of them. So keep sending them in. We'll have all the rest of our contact information at the end of the show. So let's jump into the news. And we're going to start with a story that I think is really important. And I'm glad Richard threw it on the agenda. It just doesn't fit into any of our particular categories. So we're just going to start with it. Yeah, we're going to shoehorn it into video, actually, because (laughs) there's a video tie-in here. So did anybody realize that Amazon has a cloud drive offering? I mean, if you're a geek, you might know about, what is it, S2, where it's basically drive storage that you can access and you can tie it into your computer storage and stuff like that. But S3. they also have but before S3. we get nerds emailing us. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate you correcting me. That's why I asked. I wasn't sure. So there's also a consumer offering. If you're an Amazon customer, you have access to Amazon Cloud Drive and you have five gigabytes of free storage available there. There are paid options that you could have taken advantage of for specific things like photos and other services. But this is just a free storage offering that they had. And you may be thinking, oh, well, uh, I don't ever use that. Well, you may not knowingly use it, but it is tied to Amazon devices. So, for example, if you have videos or photos or screen grabs from your Fire tablets, that's where they sync. They automatically, by default, sync up to the Amazon Cloud. If you've had per, uh, if you have purchased music in MP3 format from Amazon, it might also be up in that cloud storage. If you've sent documents to your Fire Tablet devices from a computer or somewhere else, 
they are probably also stored up there. So as of the end of next year, so Amazon's giving us all plenty of time, you're not going to be able to access these files anymore. And if you are primarily interested in this for the storage of photos or videos, maybe you use this as your source for the the uh, photographs that you see on your Echo devices around your home. Then they do have both a free and a paid version of Amazon Photos where you can upload stuff and you get free for five gigabytes, or I believe you can pay uh, various fees for larger amounts of storage of your own video and photos up there. So that sort of stuff is still going to be available, but other types of files, you're not going to be able to get to them after the end of next year. If you're interested in this, we'll have a link to the FAQs that will also link you to your drive where you can find out that there might be stuff there you didn't even know about. (laughs) So, and I'm sure this is all in the FAQ, but I haven't read through it all just yet. So I've purchased MP3 music from Amazon in the past. I've purchased TV shows from Amazon Prime Video in the past. This drive thing isn't going to be there anymore. Will I still be able to get my MP3 purchases from some other way? It. My understanding is that if you've purchased audio and you're keeping it up there, you should download it. Now, I'll double check on that so we can report back on that. But my understanding is that you're going to have to get everything off of the drive and then sign up for Amazon Photos and get your photos over there if that's what you want to do. So uh, I don't believe that uh, this is you're still going to be able to get to this stuff. Now, what this doesn't include is things like digital purchases. Your digital purchases or your digital library, as it were, is different from your cloud drive on Amazon. So if you've made digital purchases, those should still be available from your digital library at Amazon. And a good example of that is that you can buy software directly from Amazon and they keep the installation uh, f- file and and uh, uh, code available for you to download at any time in the future. That sort of stuff all still going to be there. That's not part of Amazon Cloud Drive. Okay, so all of our purchases should still be fine, but they should that, still be yeah. fine. Okay, perfect. All right, good, good. Uh, well, that that's good news for people to know and to to double check, especially if you've got any of those Amazon Fire devices that you've been using. It's also an opportunity for us to remind people you should be backing up every photo that you're taking on your phone <laughs> in multiple places. Yeah. And maybe Amazon photos is a place for you. And and I, I like the fact that you called out being able to view photos on echo devices. We uh, have our Google devices set up to display our Google photos of, you know, family photos and stuff like that. And it's wonderful. And so store your photos in multiple places, people, these are precious items to you. Most likely put them in multiple places so you don't lose them. Yep. All right. So moving on to a real video story, uh, not one that we just shoehorned in here. So (laughs) you could put videos up there. That was the tie in. Come on. And photos and music and word documents. And (laughs) true. Anyway, so, uh, kind of, kind of a smaller story here, but, uh, the, the NHL hockey season is starting now. It actually, because it's such a weird league, it actually started on Friday afternoon with games in the Czech Republic. Only a league as messed up as the NHL would start its season with Friday afternoon games. Whatever. Uh, for all the rest of the stuff, it started uh, over the weekend and it is kicking off in full throughout this week. And you might be wondering, how can I watch those games, especially if I don't have cable? Well, Last year, you were able to watch uh, most of these games on ESPN Plus, and that is continuing, but it is getting rebranded. It is now called NHL Power Play. I don't know that the branding really matters much other than it might be easier for you to talk about it with people. But if you have an ESPN subscription, you are still going to have access to the vast majority of NHL games to watch them live as long as you're talking out of market. If you're looking to watch your local team, that will likely be blacked out. You 
Also, will not have access to watch nationally televised games in most situations. Uh, I believe there were some situations where they actually did air the the nationally televised broadcast, but I think that's more of a one-off. Don't count on it if that's what you need. Uh, You will also be able to watch replays of those nationally televised games, and they're on a bunch of different networks. They're on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and the NHL Network. So if you miss some of those games, whether they're regular season or playoffs, they will be available as replays typically the next day. But frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if every network has different windows for when those games will show up uh, as as replays within ESPN+. Plus. So it's available now. It just requires an ESPN Plus subscription. We talked a lot recently about the cost of all of this. ESPN Plus had a price increase as a standalone service in August. The bundle that it's included with, where you can bundle it with Hulu and Disney Plus, those prices are also going up. So this is going to cost you more than it did last year, but it's still going to be dramatically cheaper than any of the other options. If you're just looking to watch your local team on a regional sports network, say perhaps uh, you have your team is from is covered by one of the Bally Sports Networks. That subscription is like twenty dollars a month. ESPN Plus is ten dollars a month, and you get access to the entire NHL instead of just one team. So you've got some options here. All of the details, of course, linked in the show notes. All right, so let's move on to some audio news. This is the the news that was kind of spoiled earlier, and that is that to just today, Xbox announced, well, Microsoft announced that they are bringing Apple Music to the Xbox. And this is a, a story where we could probably fittingly use the word finally brought Apple Music to the Xbox, as much as I hate to say that. Uh, I, I do regularly poke fun at the PlayStation ecosystem for taking forever to do the things that Xbox has had for a while. This is uh, an opposite scenario here. Apple Music has been available on PlayStation 5 for over a year, and it's just now coming to the Xbox platform. It gives you everything you would expect. You can play all of the music that you have access to, play all of your playlists. There are game-specific curated playlists that you can listen to from your Xbox. And importantly, it does support background playback. So you can be listening to an Apple Music playlist while playing your favorite game. And the Xbox audio settings that are available in the guide do give you a little mixer slider to adjust the balance between how much of your background audio music you want to hear versus your game's audio, which is uh, a really handy feature if you're going to use this sort of thing. Um, the other cool feature that I think really stands out with with music apps on television devices is when they will show you lyrics, especially time-synced lyrics. And Apple Music on the Xbox supports that. I call this karaoke mode. I don't know if they actually <laughs> call it that, but that's basically what it is, right? You're going to bring up they're that. singing, <laughs> right? But you're going to bring up the latest Taylor Swift song, see the lyrics, and sing along with it, right? Oh hell no! <laughs> <laughs> At least not in public. Well, that, it, it's in your house, Richard. You probably don't have an Xbox in public, like okay? At least yeah. not that I'd admit to then. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So Apple Music on your Xbox starting now, and that's basically any Xbox from the Xbox One generation all the way through to the current gen, the Series X and the Series S devices. Was the news on this just like yesterday or just this week? It was like this morning. This is basically breaking news. Interesting. Interesting. You know, yesterday I caught uh, uh, Ryan Block was going on a rant about Apple Music on Twitter. And uh, his his punchline, if you will, and I, I agree with this, and this is one of the things that frustrates me about this music service, is that it pretty much has anything that you want, even some of the uh, real long-tail content, and it still has one of the worst discover- discovery engines mm. of any 
music service out there. And I'm expecting that the Xbox is going to be true to form with that and continue that tradition because this is more or less going to be the same app experience tailored just a little bit to the Xbox. So uh, this is great. I love to see this. I desperately want Apple to make Apple Music as good at recommending music as iTunes once was. Mm. And for anybody wondering, who's this Ryan Block guy that Richard is talking about? He's kind of an important person in the tech space. He was co-founder of Engadget back in the early 2000s. Yep. Yeah. He, and then started GDGT, and that got purchased by, I don't know, somewhere. And I think at one I don't remember if he worked at CNET. No, Veronica worked at CNET. Also, yeah. he's married to Veronica Belmont. Uh and they've moved to Canada recently. I did. There know. we go. We were all caught up. <laughs> wow. Didn't know you were uh, also going to get your dose of tech celebrity gossip today. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on to a little bit of gaming news. And uh, again, some kind of weird, random, uh, kind of feels like random updates from Microsoft on the Xbox platform this week. Uh, the the Apple Music one kind of feels like it was timed with the uh, Surface event that Microsoft had earlier today. Uh, this next story timed with the, I still have a hard time calling them meta, but Facebook slash Meta uh, had an event earlier this week to talk about their VR headsets and VR everything through Meta. And while I don't follow everything from Meta, one piece of uh, interesting information that came out of that announcement is that Xbox Cloud Gaming is now going to be available on the MetaQuest 2 headsets, which is, it sounds great. Like, it sounds really cool. Like, I'm going to be able to play Halo in VR? Well, not really. This is really, you should think of this more like watching Netflix on a VR headset. It's going to give you an experience where you are essentially in a room staring at a gigantic flat screen. And if you move your head around physically in the real world, uh, you will be pointing your eyes either toward or away from this virtual television screen in front of you and so that's what it is it's and and i have always looked at things like watching netflix in vr and now playing these types of games in vr it's really just more of a private viewing experience right like i I can play the game or watch the show that i want to watch without anybody else seeing it you know so maybe you're watching or playing really violent content and you don't want your family to see that while you're playing they can't see what you're doing. And if you're wearing headphones, they can't hear what you're watching or playing either. And so that's the sort of experience you're going to get out of this. Uh, It's through Xbox cloud gaming, which means you do have to have an Xbox game pass ultimate subscription for $15 a month to play it. But uh, you can also use the quest controllers or the Xbox controller. If you, would prefer to play Xbox games with an Xbox controller, which seems to make sense to me. Uh, Both options are supported. So cool feature coming soon. Don't actually know when because they didn't provide a date on this, but uh, it is, it's nice to see. And it's just a continuation of Xbox really trying to make their game platform available everywhere. (laughs) So cool to see. And last up on the gaming front is EA Electronic Arts. They are rolling out a replacement for their Windows PC game launcher, which maybe is an oversimplified way of describing what Origin, their current app, is. But it's basically what people are primarily using it for. If you have, if you are a PC gamer and you own any EA games, you are likely using the Origin app to launch those games, to install those games, and to manage any updates with them. If you have a Mac, you also have the Origin app, and you're going to stick with the Origin app for a little while longer because they haven't announced an update on Mac yet, but we can imagine that it's going to be coming soon. So what's the point to this new app? Well, first, what's the name of it? It's just called 
EA. <laughs> that's that's the name. It's not Origin. It's just EA, which I think is better because why is it called Origin? I, like, right. If if I want to play a game, I probably know that it's from EA, but I may not remember that Origin is the app that I want to launch. So. It's called EA. That makes sense. The app is theoretically more performant. It supposedly has better and easier navigation if you have a large game library that you're trying to sort through. It will, of course, handle automatic downloading of game updates. If you want to try and use some of the social features, it has pretty expansive social features. You can link your EA account with your Steam account, your Xbox, and your PlayStation accounts and see what your friends across all of those services are playing, which I think is cool. Like maybe that's the the one really nice thing about this app that might make you want to launch it even if you're not about to play an EA game. If you're worried about losing games or losing save files or anything like that with this transition, have no fear. All of your previously downloaded games, save files, friends list, all of that stuff will transfer automatically as you get this new app. That all sounds good, but gamer PC gamers in general kind of hate all this stuff. Like Steam is the place that has almost all of the games that you're playing on a PC. But these big publishers, EA, Ubisoft, Epic, they want you to use their launchers because their launchers have their stores and they want you to be buying games from them. And if you have to have these separate apps to play these games, then that means more apps that are running on your PC while you're trying to devote every ounce of performance to the games that you're actually playing, not running these launchers in the background. And if you've got a massive game library, now you have to remember where all of these games are because you can't just go to Steam to find all of the games that you're looking for. It's the same sort of problem that we have with streaming movies and TV shows. If you want to watch She-Hulk, what service is it on? Oh, I do know it. That one's on Disney Plus. But the, the, the more traditional TV shows, it's a nightmare trying to remember where everything is. And people don't want to have to launch all of these different launchers to find the game that they want to be playing next. So this new app doesn't do anything to solve that problem. (laughs) Nope. It just continues it. (laughs) Right. But hopefully it'll at least be a better app that eliminates some of the performance issues that it might be impacting uh, the rest of your gameplay experience. But there you go. New EA app rolling out now. All right, so that's it for our news this week. Richard, let's talk about what's going on in our entertainment centers. My entertainment centers um, are are kind of all over the place because I was at the rental place. We had um, two TVs down there in public areas that I spent time working on. And by working on, I mean that we set them up with dedicated center channels. The builder in their uh, infinite knowledge of home AV didn't budget for anything but ceiling speakers in the rec room (laughs) and in the main great room off of the top level. So uh, the sound in those spaces, and I think you've experienced this firsthand, Josh, when we were there for CES this past year, the sound in those spaces is just a big old muffled mess. And there are decent AV receivers in those spaces. You just couldn't hear anybody talk clearly. (laughs) So I ended up repurposing my 3.0 soundbar that uh, Rob H had recommended I buy for my old house. I can't use that at my new place with the configuration that we have. So I took it down there. That is now in uh, the great room with the AV receiver that surprise does Atmos. So I now have, what is it? I now have five, one, two in the main family room, great room area on uh, the television. Now, uh, what services are going to support that? As far as I could tell, pretty much only HBO Max and I think Disney. But 
it's there. And that was pretty cool to get set up. I did not expect that. Also got a center channel set up in the rec room downstairs, which again, makes it a whole lot easier to watch television down there. Although realistically, people are probably watching football and other sports ball games down there where the whole surround noise muffled thing is part of the experience anyway. Right. And then while I was there, I took my Google TV that I take on the road with me. And now that we're using Google TV at home, it was just like we were home. I just, it was the same experience in both places, made it really easy for people to use. And one of the things that I didn't expect is that when we hooked up YouTube T or when we started YouTube TV on the Google TV there, it automatically picked up the locals there instead of the networks that we see in the DC area. It recognized that I wasn't in my home location and asked if we were traveling or if we had moved. Huh? Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. That is, that is a really nice feature and and one that you're not going to notice very often, but when you do, it's a really nice thing to have. Right. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was very cool. Although we spent a good part of the time just watching the weather channel because, uh, what was it? What was the name of the storm that hit us? Anyway. Was that uh, Ian? E Ian. Yes. Yeah. We got hit by Ian. Um, but not too bad. Not as, certainly not as bad as, uh, whew, man, Florida got pummeled. We just yeah. had a little bit of water inside. So, all right. Um, I get home and because I've had some ghosts in the machine with my home television, I had the whole power strip for the television turned off. And so I went and turned that back on and, you know, Google TV, the Hue sync box and all that stuff. It's all working again. Something weird that I wanted to adjust on the television. So I pull out my remote for the television and nothing really works from the remote, but not nothing. I can use the power button. I can use the settings button. I can use the input button. No other buttons on the remote that came with my LG TV <laughs> do anything. So what? I can bring settings up, but I can't actually select settings. I can bring up inputs and repeatedly press inputs to get to one of those. And it'll eventually time out and select that input. But I can't actually navigate in the input selection. I have no idea what's going on. I tried turning it off and turning it on again. I tried looking for other, I don't know, button combinations or settings, I'm kind of stuck. And I remember talking with some folks on a Slack channel about putting the television into something of a hotel mode to lock people out of making changes to the television. But I don't remember actually doing that. I don't think I did that. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, but I mean, may need to find out in case that is what happened, how to get out of that hotel mode. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah, I don't know what's going on there. That was, I thought that was really weird. I have some research to do there. All right. As far as stuff that I have been consuming in terms of media, the Big Brother finale occurred while I was away. So I did watch that. Really happy with how that turned out, actually. That was an interesting season. Uh, the Amazing Race is back because Big Brother's over. So I started watching that. I am not caught up on that. The second season of Ghosts is on on CBS. This may be one of the few things that I actually, uh, besides those shows that I just mentioned, watch on network television. Ghosts is on CBS. So we can get that on uh, Paramount Plus. And then because of all the hype that it, got at the Emmys, I decided to watch The White Lotus. Wow, that was weird. That's, it was really weird. It was entertaining. It had some interesting stories, but it was weird and uncomfortable. It was preachy at times, and it, and at other times, it really made you think about the points that the story was trying, uh, was trying to make. And so, I don't know how I feel about it. Season two starts in a couple of weeks, and I don't know if I'm going to watch it or not. But 
you know, I'll report back here if I do. A couple more of us episodes of the Bob Newhart Show. We watched one more episode of Lord of the Rings and then, you know, vacation. So didn't really keep up with that too much. I caught up on House of the Dragon. That has been getting really good. Um, there's been this whole season's been a lot of build up, and actually, we just released the latest episode of Let's Talk About Thrones, where we dive into that one. Um, so far, so good. I'm I'm enjoying this a lot. And then we watched a couple of different movies. We watched Battleship for some reason. <laughs> it came up as I don't know. It came up as an example of I think we were talking about games that had been made into movies, and so. This was available, and we decided to uh, watch it. And then Hocus Pocus 2 came out. So Hocus Pocus 1 was available on Freeform. Is that the name of ABC Family now? I think that's the name of it. Sounds right. And we watched that, and then we watched Hocus Pocus 2. It was fun. It was not what I expected. I don't know what I expected. Unfortunately, because Disney has been hyping this for probably over a year now, I will say that it didn't live up to a year's worth of hype, but it was fun. If you like the first film, if you're part of the group of the uh, you know cult following that that film has, and we do like the first film, you'll probably like this new one. And I am not caught up on podcasts, so therefore I did not get too much uh, more of my Steve Jobs audiobook. Listen to that. Hopefully will happen later this month. That's it for me. How about you? You have a you have an actual TV show in your thing, like you had said. <laughs> I do. I have a TV show. I have two games that I don't think I've talked about previously, and I have a podcast recommendation. A wow. lot of new stuff here for me. Wow. Let's talk about games super fast because there's not that much to say about them. NHL 23, the brand new NHL game, is out this week. I got early access. It's not a whole lot different than NHL 22. Um, it doesn't seem like they've fixed any of the issues that we've had with the previous years. Awesome. And, and once again, they've introduced more issues. So. But I still keep pre-ordering and playing this game all the time. It's what we do. Uh, Overwatch 2 also launched within the last week. A sequel to the original Overwatch from six or seven years ago. I really enjoyed the first Overwatch a ton. Uh, this is And this new one is free to play. So kind of no reason not to check it out there. But apparently the internet was not excited about it. And the first couple of days were brutal. Because they the servers actually got DDoS attacked uh, and made it basically impossible to play for the first couple of days. Ugh. So uh, it seems like everything's going smoothly now. I played a few matches a couple nights ago and everything was fine. I got into matches relatively quickly. It's Overwatch. If you like the first one, you're probably going to like Overwatch too because it's not really that much different. But it's free now and there's a lot more heroes to choose from so go and check that out if you're looking for a team-based hero shooter uh it's it's fun i really like it i hope the rest of my friends are going to get back into it because i really enjoyed the first one uh in terms of watching things i did convince jen to watch the lord of the Rings show with me i, I think i had mentioned about a month ago that she was like i'm gonna watch this on my own and i said no, mm -hmm. we're gonna watch this together because i do actually want to watch this and We've both been loving it. It's really good. It's it is. really good. Um, it's a little bit gross. Like they probably didn't need to be as graphic with the grossness uh, with, with some of the violence and orcs are just gross in general. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really bother me compared to some of the stuff I've watched. I mean, if, if you watched The Walking Dead, you're not going to have any problems with this. It's not anywhere near that gross. Right. Um, but it's been really good. It looks amazing. Right? <laughs> they, they clearly spent the money on this show and and it shows it is it is so gorgeous. And if yeah. you and if you have an OLED TV, they have plenty of scenes where it's, you know, a dark, starry sky that you can really enjoy. It's it's really like everything about it's good. The the storyline 
the the visual fidelity. I'm loving absolutely everything about it. Yeah, and th- you know, you bring up the dark sky and the dark scenes. This is an example of doing dark scenes right. Yes, Lord of the Rings has figured out how to make these scenes work and and bring the viewer into them. On the most recent episode of Let's Talk About Thrones, I go on an expletive uh, spoon rant about how bad they're doing this mm. on House of the Dragon. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, we are probably further along. I think we're only one episode behind from from the, the current release. So, Oh, yeah. I think we're two or three now. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the only kind of downside to this, if you're if you need to find one, is the episodes are long. Like they're all yep. like seventy minutes long, which is kind of fitting with Lord of the Rings. They can't ever do a Lord yep. of the Rings thing quickly, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it makes sense that however long this, however many episodes this series is going to be, it will end up being three hundred fifty hours of video content to consume. I think so. <laughs> but I will say. <laughs> The, just like the main movies, now this, there's an exception on the director's cut of those movies because, oh, they're long. But just like the main movies, which were themselves long, they don't feel too long. These right. episodes don't feel like they're dragging. Stuff is happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're interested at all in Lord of the Rings, I would definitely recommend you go and check it out. But this is one of those shows that they release a new episode once a week. So if you're also the type that like wants to be able to watch the whole season uh, in a weekend or whatever, then you're going to need to wait a little bit longer while they wrap up uh, releasing the rest of the first season. I also wanted to talk about a new podcast that I, I found. Uh, I listened to uh NPR has a daily, like, <laughs> I laugh because when it first launched a few years ago, it was supposed to be a five minute news update in the morning. And they stopped saying that because it was never only five minutes. It's now <laughs> about a 15 minute news podcast every morning, just giving you all of the, the latest uh, national and international news. It's a great podcast. Up first is what it's called. On Sundays, they. They instead replaced that podcast with another NPR podcast. And this week, they replaced it with the first episode in uh, a a podcast that's being produced by uh, one of their affiliates in Seattle, Washington. And it's a new show called The Walk Home. And it's it's actually, uh, well, well, I was pleasantly surprised to find that wasn't the only episode that was available. They're halfway through the first season, actually. And this this podcast is, if you remember Serial, which Serial's been in the news a lot lately with with the uh, the the main person of interest from that show being released from prison and all charges dropped, maybe because of that podcast and the work that they did there. <laughs> it's it's similar to that in that, uh, but it feels even a little bit more modern because this show chronicles the uh a situation very similar to George Floyd that happened in Tacoma, Washington about 3 months before George Floyd was killed. It was it it follows the story of a young man who was killed in police custody in Tacoma in I believe March of 2020 and trying to find out what happened there and to hopefully get some justice for what happened there. And so if you're into that sort of storytelling and you're and you care about that specific interest, then check out The Walk Home. I binged every episode that was available this weekend, I think on Sunday. Uh it's it's really well done. Uh I keep saying storytelling, but that makes it sound like it's fiction and it's not. This is real life news reporting done well because it's NPR. That's really cool. I, I'm glad you brought up the whole um, the whole serial thing. It's perhaps hy- hyperbolic, but I don't think it is to acknowledge the power that a podcast had and potent- and a- as a result, actually a series of podcasts 
and then the notoriety that 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 followed that to ultimately free this guy that was imprisoned with false evidence. Right. Um, Adnan Saeed, sorry, Adnan Saeed just released yesterday from the day that we were recording. Not released, but all the charges dropped. He was already released from prison, finally, and all the charges were dropped just yesterday. That would not have happened had it not been for Serial. I do not believe. I, I agree. And and I, I think I think what's kind of... Well, there's nothing cooler than than somebody being released from prison, of course, not trying to overshadow that. But one of the things that I think is cool around all of this is podcasting has become a really great source for investigative journalism. It you know, we've we've had shows on TV like Dateline that attempt to do this sort of thing, but TV is a medium that's had struggles over the last 20 years and there is so much more freedom in what you can do and and how long you're going to dedicate to a given story in podcasting that allowed things like Serial and now The Walk Home and many other podcasts since Serial and probably some before Serial, but Serial is the one that everyone knows. Uh, and, and I think it's just a, another really great thing about the medium of podcast and, and what it does offer uh, us as consumers in, in this new yeah. way of, of getting information and entertainment. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for what's going on in our entertainment centers. If you want to get a hold of us and send us more topics to discuss, maybe questions that we can help answer or let us know how it is that you're switching inputs on your television devices. You can email us at entertainment20 at the digital media zone.com. We're also on Twitter at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, and the website is at DigiMediaZone. You can get all of the show notes. That's every link to every topic that we talked about tonight over at our website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com. And while you're there, you can check out the latest episode of Home On talking about uh, an interview with a HomeKit developer. Oh, wait, no, you can't because Richard hasn't released it yet. <laughs> I deserve that. I totally deserve that. And by the way, it's worth mentioning that you called it, that you basically said you need to get this done before you go on vacation. And yeah, because I, I should have known that I wasn't going to get it done on vacation. So I, I am back at it. I have been working on it and I really do hope to get it out this week. <laughs> Good. We want to hear it because Home On yeah. is a fantastic podcast. If you're interested in smart home uh, news from the DIY perspective. Slightly late smart home news now, but you yes. know. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of it's evergreen content, which works since you're maybe not always the most timely with your delivery of the show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right. Well, we typically regularly, I'm not even sure what word to use anymore. Often record the show live on Twitch. You can find that there also. When we do that, it's usually Tuesday nights at 10.30, sorry, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Sometimes it's Wednesdays. Follow us on Twitter to know when we're doing the live show because there's a chat room and you can be directly involved in the recording of the show and see us in video while we talk about it. And uh, whenever we do a video recording, we also try to throw it up on YouTube so you can subscribe to our YouTube channel also. That's going to do it for episode 602. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.